Morning. Morning, Morning all, and welcome uh, to our service this morning. Happy June. I guess this is the first Sunday in June for us on a Sunday morning. Welcome to those of you watching online as well. Glad to be here this morning. The premise of this series that we're starting this morning, introduced by that video, is that God's words, as we have them and know them from the Bible, found in the Bible, God's words are living words. What do I mean by living words? They are living words. They're not just to be heard. Hopefully you'll hear some today and you hear them in your everyday life if you read and listen to the Word of God, the Bible. But they're not only meant to be heard, they're supposed to be lived. Okay? That's the premise of this series. They're supposed to be lived. Right? It's the difference between the Bible and other uh, books, religious books and otherwise. To follow Jesus, that's a term we use, uh, the Bible uses, we're followers of Jesus, another way of saying being a Christian. What does that actually mean? It doesn't necessarily mean we, we kind of go where he went, like, you know, spatially. And sometimes that's a good way of thinking about it. Jesus would go here and go there, and, 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 and we can use that idea. But really what it means to be a follower of Jesus, unpacking that, it means that we, over time, become more like him. Okay, that's what it really means. That I'm becoming, over the course of my life, my, my, my Christian life, I'm a Christian, if you're a Christian, over the course of my life, I'm becoming more, from the inside out, more like Jesus. Okay, that's what it's... How do we do that? Well, you do that, or one of the primary ways that I do that is by applying God's Word to your life. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about in the series. One of the ways, one of the primary ways, yes, it's with the help of the Holy Spirit, and of course, the Bible I have here, but is applying God's word. That how we become more like Jesus is knowing and then applying God's word in my everyday life. Each week in this series, let me introduce it, you're going to get a message by me and some others that's focused on a single verse of scripture, or let's say a core truth, that the person, today I'm going to be with myself, is applying. I'm going to give you a verse and talk to you about how I apply this in my life with the hopes of you doing the same. And so that's what these sermons are going to be about. And then at the end of every week, including this one, we want to give this challenge to you all. How are we going to do that? Well, one is you can find some value in the sermon, hopefully. But then as you walk out, Today, those of you who are in the room, you're going to get a card. You may have saw people doing walking out with them today. It's just, uh, the, the verses of this series are all based on the letters of Paul. And we've picked a bunch of other verses, not the ones you're going to hear in the sermons, but other ones that are on these cards. You don't have to find one you like. Just take it as you walk out. And uh, the idea is that you can practice with God's help and the Holy Spirit, let's, let's believe that God knows your needs and you're going to get a verse that you can put to practice this week and the next seven weeks that follow. Those of you at home, we're going to give you a number before we close today. You can get a digital version of these as well. So that's where we're going today. Now today, I'm going to start with a single verse from um, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. And let me say a little something about um, this congregation before I get to this verse. The, the, the Corinthian church, it's one of a handful that Paul started, was the congregation who, mo, who criticized Paul the most. I'm talking about actual criticism. His speaking, his, his looks, his, his ministry. His, uh, they, they How do I know that, Rob? Because, because it's, it's, it's found in these letters. Because Paul wrote actually three letters to this congregation. We have two in the Bible. And we see their correspondence. So of all the congregations, this one criticized him the most, but also, maybe these things go together, it is the congregation, at least 
as the letters reveal, where he most bared his heart. So he was criticized the most, but it's also, when you look at the letter, where he most bears his heart to this congregation. And in that bearing of his heart, we'll see just one verse here this morning, is what results of that is a vision, you might say an articulation, of one of the greatest spiritual truths, I think, of the Christian faith, which is the subject this morning, which is what? It's, which, which is this. That both the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus are to show up, to be manifest at work in your life, in my life, at the same time over the course of your life. That both the death of Jesus, not just as a historical event, but as a living reality, both the death of Jesus and the resurrected life of Jesus are to show up and be at work in your life at the same time. The title of this message that I gave is The Paradox of Faith. Listen to this one verse. This is our verse. The Paradox of Faith. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed, wait for it, in our body. Leave it up there. Paul says something very, he's going to give you a very specific location in this verse and he's going to overstate it. He's trying to make a point. He doesn't even say in your life. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in the world. No, in my body. Now let me say something about paradox. Most of you know that word. But let me just uh, uh, define the word very quickly. What is the word paradox? It's, you know this. It's a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement that when investigated actually turns out to be true. Right? You see this in many different parts. But that's what the word paradox means, right? Uh, hot, cold, you know, dark light, you know, you know whatever. I, I say things that don't seem to go together. It's a seemingly contradictory statement, an absurd statement. This is a dictionary definition. A seemingly absurd or contradictory statement that upon greater investigation actually turns out to be true. A beautiful mess, you know, a wonderful monster. Okay, whatever the case may be. That's a paradox of faith. Now, the first part of this paradox, we carry in our body the death of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest revealed in us, is it's about me, okay? The first part of this paradox is about me. What do I mean by that? The transformation that this truth, found in this verse but also in the New Testament, speaks about begins with one's own vulnerability. The transformation that I long for, I think if most Christians would say, I take the second half of this verse, what I most want, I don't, know, I don't most want money, I don't most want another couple years of my life, I don't most want the, you know, the ability to do this. What I most want is the life of Jesus Christ, the quality of Jesus Christ to show up in my mind, to show up in my heart, to show up in my marriage, to show up in my thinking, to show up in my living. That's what I most want, I'm talking about, relative to my expectations and desires for the gospel. Right? And what he's saying here is, this process, this transformation, right? this spiritual truth begins with one's own vulnerability. It's about me, 
Okay, it's about you. To carry in your body, follow me along this one verse, the death of Jesus. What does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? Sometimes we read the Bible, we, we, it's, there's so much there, we, don't, we, we, we gloss over it. We do. What does it mean? It means this. This is what I believe it means. It points to the sufferings, the weakness, the failings, the sins in my life and the things I experience because I live in a broken and sin-cursed world. The sins in my life, the weaknesses in my life, the experiences of living in a broken and sin-cursed world, it's, it's, it's those experiences that over the course of my life, in the course of every day, they drive me to the cross of Jesus Christ. I carry in my body the death of Jesus. What Paul is saying is these things are, on, are pointers, they're reminders, they're stimulators to bring me to the only place where I can get help, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. I carry in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. The apostle Paul has in this verse, but really in this, in this letter, but even in this verse, he's having what I would call a um, bear your soul moment. Okay, And in this sense, I'm in other words, he's unpacking what's going on in his life. He, in this sense, you could say the Apostle Paul and even the New Testament is way ahead of its time. You know, We talk about in our lifetimes, maybe, maybe, the, maybe this is a 20th century thing, certainly 21st century, you know, the tell-all book. You know, It used to be people would tell stories, they'd never tell you what's going on in their hearts. They'd never tell you about the sins in their life. I mean, it was all, I'm going to leave with my, 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 my best. Right? No one knew that, you know, so, that Thomas Jefferson had slaves. I mean, whatever. We don't even talk about these kind of things. We start with the Declaration of Independence. And this has been going on forever. It was only popular, I think, in the 20th century. All of a sudden, you know, someone tells you about all their, you know, deep, dark demons in their hearts. And they write a book about it and it becomes a bestseller. Well, in Paul's case, he's having a bare your soul moment. A lot of them in this book. And I think it makes him a little bit ahead of his time. Verse 8 and 9. Listen carefully. The verses that lead up to the one we read. He's talking to this congregation. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you want to know about my life? And one of the background things of this letter is they're comparing Paul to these other, he calls them super apostles. You might call them celebrity pastors in our nomenclature, you know, in our day. These other people who seem to have really good lives and did and were very spectacular in their gifts. And Paul says, listen, let me tell you about me. My life is one hard thing after another. And he doesn't really say in, the, in that, those verses, what does it mean that he's perplexed, that he's hard-pressed, that he's struck down? We don't know from reading that verse, but you know it in spades if you read the rest of the letter. Once you've, this, you be, this begins to open up the entire letter. Let me just give it to you quickly. Just a handful of cascading words. Paul had trouble, hardships, beatings, imprisonments. He said there was danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea. He had beaten, uh, you know, left at sea. This guy was one hard knock thing after another. And it wasn't just things like that. Chapter 10 said his own congregation. He got word back to him. Pastors do too in our day. But, you know, and this is what they said. This is a verbatim quote from chapter 10. That Paul, in person, he's unimpressive. Paul says, I know what you're saying about me, congregation, that in person, I'm not, impression. I'm not very impressive. They said, his letters are very weighty. Always a, he's a great writer. But when he shows up on his little circuit riding and he comes to the town of, of Corinth, oh my goodness, you know, this guy looks like Woody Allen. I mean, he didn't say that. But in other words, he's, he's not a very impressive person. He's not, a, he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not very good looking. 
And not only is he unimpressive in person, that's what they said, they also said his speaking amounts to nothing. Let me tell you something. For someone who partly has their living as a speaker, that's a tough one, man, you know? I mean, when your congregation says, boy, you got a great heart, but you're a horrible speaker, you know? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, heart, that's a blow. That's what they said to Paul. And, and that, that would hurt any preacher, teacher. But in this day, there's no TV, there's no, there's no internet, there's no movies. In other words, rhetoric in public speaking was the primary celebrated gift, whether you were a politician, a pastor, or whatever it is that you did. And they say, Paul, you know, we really appreciate what you have to say. You're, you, you know the Bible pretty well, the Old Testament, but you're a, you're a snooze <laughs> as a speaker, okay? I carry in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. What's the point? Listen carefully. In terms of the gospel, that's what I'm trying to say. We do not suffer for our sins. I mean, we do in the sense of we consequences of our dumb decisions, but when it comes to the gospel, we don't suffer for our sins. Jesus suffered for our sins. But we do suffer through our sins on the way to the cross as an application in everyday life, right? We do suffer through our sins. We do experience weaknesses, failures, sins, the sins of just living in a broken world. I'm married to you. You're my friend. I'm, dealing, I'm absorbing your pain and your difficulties. I, I bear in my body the death of the Lord Jesus, the suffering, persecuted, hard-pressed, perplexed, Every side is coming at me. I experienced it so that it might drive me to the only place where I can really get help, which is the cross, so that the life of Jesus might be manifest in me. I don't need a pill. I don't need a book. I don't need um, good coaching. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sin in its place, releasing you a kind of life and a quality of life you can't get anywhere else. That's what he's talking about. It begins... It starts with me. It starts with me. It's the starting place for all true spiritual transformation. Talk about your own vulnerability. We come to appreciate how powerful God is, how powerful he is in our life, only as we have a deeper understanding of our weaknesses. I wish somebody would have told me that. When I was 18 years old and I came to know Jesus as my Savior, I wish somebody would have told me that. At 26 or 25 when I started seminary. I wish somebody would have told me that. At 31 years old when I started my first job as a pastor. I wish somebody would have told me that the, one of the central ways of experiencing this kind of transformation that I long for is I need to be in touch with my own vulnerability because I live in a world that's organized against that where I want to put my best foot forward. I don't want to tell you what's going on in my heart of hearts. I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't even want to talk to myself about my, my sin struggles. Sure, I don't want to talk to you about them. But Paul says, listen, I don't care what they do. I understand there's a celebrity culture in every generation, but I bear in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. I'm persecuted on every side. I'm barely holding it together sometimes. But I'm not crushed. Right? I'm not, I'm going to get back on my feet. I mentioned to you guys two weeks ago, Flower City Work Camp Weekend Edition. I did it. 40 others have stood it, whatever it was. If you were here, it's a, um, you know, spend a day um, just rehabbing a house that uh, in Jesus' name, we, you know, it's all organized and, and it's, it's built off the larger organization called Flower City Work Camp. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but do, helping people in the, who have houses in the city of great need. So we did it. I was a part of it. 
I mentioned that. Let me tell you a story. This is two Saturdays ago about that day that I didn't tell you. Now, we're just working on this house. I was on the outside team. The inside team's painting. The outside team's doing lawn work, trimming hedges. We get to the end of this hedge. We come around the edge, and we need to just finish the trim in the hedge of this house. And we're sort of in the neighbor's driveway, and the neighbor's car is all right there. So we say, gee, we, well, it's, a bit, it's a very small job. We say, let's go knock on the door, see if, the, you know, let this guy know we're here. Maybe he'd even move his car. Knock on the door, knock on the door. Nobody answers the door. So our job is very small. So we, 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 we put the ladder. We start to just get up there before we even get to the top of the ladder. I'm talking about step ladder. And this just is hedges. Out the, oh, the top window is open. This guy uh, launches into this tirade. Oh, my goodness. It was the most salty language. <laughs> you know, I mean, clearly something was bothering him before even we bothered him. And he was just, you know, it was full on. We said, whoa. You know, we hadn't done anything yet. We hadn't done a thing yet. Hadn't made one clip on that edge. And we, the ladder was in his driveway, but that's it. So we backed down. Okay. He comes barreling out the door uh, 30 seconds later and, and, and starts going off. I mean, really going off. Salty language that you don't say in church, you know. And, and it's, it's very disproportionate. And I said, friend, let me just say something. Okay, appreciate that. We're, we're good. We're gonna, we, we don't have to do this. We're church people helping out your neighbor. Just context. I don't care who you are. Get off my lawn right now. Okay. So we decide that's fine. Not the end of the world. We're, we're, we're just, he walks back, storms back into his house. But 20 seconds later, we, we didn't even fold our ladder up yet. He comes out again. And he says, he points to the car that's in front of, now on the street, our, one of our cars um, that was on the front of the street, not in his driveway, said, Get that car out of front of my house right now. Also, which was the street, wasn't his thing. Well, then something very, very unusual happened. <laughs> okay. uh, a door in my heart, way down in there, opened up and out of it came some anger that I hadn't seen in a very long time. And instead of stepping back, I stepped toward him. And I said some things, no salty language that I remember. Okay. <laughs> But I, but I said some things that I probably shouldn't have said. And I do remember outlining, looking and saying, thinking this was going to, that we were going to start, we were going to have a fight. I said what I said. And he received that. He said, okay. Like if that's how you want to, he stormed back into the house. So then we said, we better leave. So we walked away, and we went back to our, to our spot. Probably only a minute or two went by, but it felt longer. And we, we kind of felt like maybe this moment's over. We're kind of getting back to our little... And the guy who I was with, one of my team, said, You know, Rob, this guy's known me for years. He said, in a nice way, he wasn't criticizing me, I don't think. And he said, I've never seen that kind of anger in you. And I said, and I've known him years, and I knew that he didn't. But I have, right? I have. It'd been a long time since I'd seen it, but I knew I had it. I knew my work wasn't done, and I knew I had a decision to make. Okay, I had a decision right then to decide to do one of two things: either I was going to bury that back in that chamber where I hadn't seen it for many years, get back down there, lock and key, or in my own way, I was going to have to find a way 
I bury in my body the death of the Lord Jesus to allow that anger and take it. The only place I could take it to find true hope. As Paul says in Romans, yield your, your members as instruments of righteousness. Come and surrender this to God and say, Lord Jesus, help me right now. I don't want this to go back down there. Please take it. Please apply it to the cross. Please bring me greater strength, greater forgiveness, greater power in this moment in my life right now. Okay? I would say to you guys as we think about this passage, I think we are called to points of decision, you and me. Maybe, maybe every day in our lives in this kind of way. And we have to decide. It doesn't have to be always that dramatic. Whether or not you're going to bury that anger, bury that lust, bury that judgment, bury that deep insecurity, bury that hunger for approval, bury that anxiety, or you're going to decide to do what this verse is telling you, that we are a paradox, right? We carry in our body the death of Jesus, the actual cross of Jesus, the living union with that cross, that we can take our sins even as Christians, we still sin, don't we? We take our sins, active, live sins, to the cross so that God can deal with them and release the power of God in the, revel- in the, in the life of Jesus in them. Okay? We have to make that decision. But here's what I would say to you. If you're like me, often you bury those things, and then maybe you do whatever you need to do to distract you from thinking about those things. Right? Eat, drink, you know, I don't know, watch TV. But let me say this, when you and I decide to bury those things back where they came from, listen very carefully, you bury the new life in Jesus that you long for along with it. Because what does the verse say? I carry in my body, listen very carefully, the death of the Lord Jesus so that, so that the life of Jesus might be manifest in me. They go together. And if you don't like those things, if you want to bury those things, if you want to hide those things, go ahead. But the power that you long for, the greater freedom that you long for, the deeper forgiveness that you long for is going to be buried with it. Right? It starts. It's about me. Second thing, the other side of the paradox. It's not about me. It's not about you. Human weakness, listen carefully presents no barrier to the power of God showing up in your life. Human weakness presents no barrier to the power of God showing up in your life. The power to lift you and to lift me out of my powerlessness, that's what Paul is talking about, to face suffering in my life, suffering in the world that comes into my life, it's not always self-generated, is not within you. The Apostle Paul not only had external pressures, we just read them, He also had internal struggles. We'll see this in the book. Listen, they got him down, but they didn't keep him down. Listen to these verses. Again, chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure. What's he talking about? The the verse, the, the life of Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay. It's the Bible's way of talking about the human body. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, the fact that God takes this powerful Niagara Falls power of the gospel and matches it with a broken clay pot is not an accident. It's deliberate so that you don't be fooled 
to think that the kind of transformation that you long for in your life comes from yourself. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel so that the surpassing power of God may be revealed in us. It's about me at first. It's about you. You have to start with your own vulnerabilities. Think about Jesus very quickly. You know, Jesus in the ministry did a lot of this. He asked questions. But you know, Jesus asked a lot of questions that he already knew the answer to. I mean, we guess we would say he knows all the answers, right? But he's talking to, how about the questions like this? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Now, Jesus knew the answer to that question. Why did he ask it? Because it's about you at first. You have to be in touch with your own vulnerabilities. You know? Why do you doubt? Do you think he didn't know? He knew. Do you know? What do, he said this to the blind guy in John 9, I think. What do you want me to do for you? Right? Do you know what you want God to do for you? Do you know why you doubt? Do you know why you are afraid? Or do you just want to bury those things and as soon as they come up, you lock them in a drawer and say, what it means to be a Christian is to show the world my shiny best when the whole time the power of God is unactivated in your life. It is about me. It's not about me. Listen to these verses again. Um, well, we just, did we just read verse 4, 7 through 9? Yeah. Right? The power, I said, as it goes along. Let me say this. Six years ago, maybe, maybe, maybe six years ago, a missionary came through town, one of our missionaries, and they gave me a, um, one of these little olive wood crosses. Many of you have them. And it was so timely because when they, came, when they gave it to me, I was thinking about this truth, if not this verse. And ever since that day, it's been about five or six years, and some of you do this, I've carried this cross in my pocket, so I actually feel it on my hip almost every day for the last six years. Now, you say, wow, is it, was it blessed by the Pope or something? No, it's, it's, th- this cross has no special powers and it doesn't make me any closer to God. But let me tell you why I, I've chosen to do it. It's just a choice. Because it's a, it's a tactile reminder of this spiritual truth that I'm hoping and trying to apply to the deeper-rooted sins in my life that pop up every day or over the course of time. That's why. Because I want to remind myself that I am a clay pot that I am a broken wheel, that I am a, a, you know, a human being that has not conquered. Right? I'm at a place in my life, maybe some of you are. I mean, I, I've never been free of sin in my entire life, but let's say after many, many years, I'm, the, I, the sins in my life are of a deeper kind of quality. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the one I just told you about. right? The kind of things that, are, that you know that you cannot deal with on your own. Right? And it's been a reminder to me to try to work this process um, in my life. God, it's about me, it's not about me. 
Finally, God, help me. That's where I want to lead you tonight. It's a prayer. God, help me. That's the prayer. Okay? God, help me. This passage finally tells us that God's power is always available. This is what this passage is telling me. This is what Paul's trying to say in the midst of a very, you know, Paul's not saying this from, a, from some kind of, you know, a sitting by the pool. This guy's in crisis, spent much of his life in jail writing these letters. And listen, let me tell you something. I'm hard-pressed on every side. I'm crushed. I'm persecuted. I'm down, but I'm not going to stay down. Why, Paul? Because I carry in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. That is the sufferings and challenges, the weaknesses, the sin-cursed world that, that, that laps up against my body and life every day. I, it gets me down, but it doesn't keep me down because I, I know where to go with it. God, help me. Right? But not, but not, but not. Let me tell you the rest of my story. I'm, I'm standing there. We had this moment. And it was kind of past for everybody else, you know. Two of our team were doing the other side of the house. I didn't even know what was going on. But as I'm sitting there, this probably only happened in a minute or two. probably felt like 10. I'm, I'm, I'm processing this. Even as I'm, you know, picking up rakes or raking leaves or whatever I was doing, I said, God... I don't want this to go back down to that chamber. Lord, help me right now. I give this to you. I'm, I, Lord, uh, may, may the cross of Jesus Christ kill this before it goes back down and, it, and nail it to the cross and bring in its place the life of the Lord Jesus. And I had a moment almost where God showed up. No one would have known it if you were standing next to me. This sort of lightness of being, Right? And I finally said to my friend, we would kind of moved on, who was there with me in this whole episode. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go back and talk to that guy. And he said, I think I better go with you. <laughs> so we did. He did. I don't know if he's in here today. But uh, so we went back. I knocked on the door. Guy came uh, out from the backyard. And he was still pretty fired up. But before he could say anything, and he did say a few things, um, but I'd say he was a little less amped up, but he was still not our friend. You know? And I said, I just want to let you know, I apologize for the way that I spoke to you. I'm, I'm sorry for the way that I spoke to you and, and responded to you. I just, want to, I just want to apologize. That's all we're here for. He said, okay, get off my lawn. Okay? So we went back, walked over, and... About a minute later, he comes out. He gets in his car that we had originally were going to ask him to move. And he moves his car and parks it on the street. Now, I said to my buddy, I said, there's no way that's for us. You know, <laughs> we're, let's just stay put. That's just kind of a happy accident. You know, you know, let's just keep on doing what we're doing. So he went back in. He came out a minute later, walked around the hedge towards me. He said, if you guys want to cut that hedge now, you can go ahead and do that. Isn't that unbelievable? God help us. Right? God help us. The but nots of verse 8 and 9 encourage us to pray specifically about the struggles and weaknesses we have every day. Listen, here's the point. We are never more than a moment away from having the life of Jesus Christ show up, wait for it, in our body. I'm not talking about a sweet by and by. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm not talking about when this life is over. Paul's talking about right now. We are never, you are never more than a moment away from having the life of Jesus Christ show up in your body if you understand how to apply this truth. I carry in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. 
so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in my body. Look how he ends these verses. I mean this passage. Verse 16. Therefore, summary, we do not lose heart. Love that. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly, here's the paradox, we are wasting away. Right? Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, sort of a euphemism, right? I think you said more. I think, they were, I think you could describe what happened to Paul as something more grave than light and momentary troubles. Our sufferings, our troubles. Now watch this. He doesn't say we can just we can just keep on keeping on. We can endure them. We can endure our light and momentary troubles. We can endure our suffering. No, it doesn't say that. So that's what sometimes we think. Let's endure it. Can't wait till Jesus comes. Let's endure it. No. Our achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Same friends, if you spend most of your life burying your light and momentary troubles, which is a cleaned up way of saying your sin struggles, the broken world struggles, if your own vulnerabilities, the things about you that you're struggling with, if you say, I'm going to bury those, and my Christianity is going to be a sort of, you know, the gospel of sin management, how can I look good on the outside? You're going to miss what the whole Christian life is really all about, which is the power of God, the grace of God coming in and really changing you at the core of who you are. There's only one way. The gospel's not good advice. It's the power of God doing an ever-increasing work of crucifying the sin in your life. That's the only way you can deal with sin, never crucify it, right? And in its place, release a whole new quality of life, okay? So what's what we're going to do? Take communion, we're done. That's what I want you to do, though. Before we take communion, I just want to give you, when I say a minute, I mean a minute, okay? To apply this passage to your life in this room right now or in your home, okay? How do you do that? Well, I would say for some of you, thank you, Steve. For some of you, you knew before you even came in today, even if, you, even if I would even forget the topic of the sermon, you knew what your deep-rooted sin or sins were. Your anger, okay, fill in the blank. Okay, you knew what it is. You know yourself. Or some of you, maybe it's come to mind since you've been in this room. My encouragement to you is, use 60 seconds before we take this, right? The Christian life isn't hard. It's just untried, as Chiche Chesterton said. Apply it. If you're a Christian, you carry in your body the death of the Lord Jesus. You have the Niagara Falls of power in your body every single day. But you got to know how to apply it. So what I encourage you is bring that to mind and say, Lord, here it is. I'm taking it out. I'm not going to be afraid of this anger or this lust of this hunger for approval, this anxiety that nags me to death, my judgments for other people that are overwhelming. I'm going to bring that out of the dark into the light, and I pray you nail it to the cross. Now, some of you don't know because we've been so well-trained, some of us, to not think about ourselves. We're so out of touch with our own vulnerability, you wouldn't even know what the issue is. Here's a prayer for you. Psalm 139, verse 23. Lord, search me and try me. Test my anxious thoughts. There's a reason behind your anxieties. Test my anxious thoughts and reveal in me whatever offensive ways that have been showing up in my life. I don't even know what they are. Yeah, that's your 60 seconds. 
So do that, let's just do it, and then we're gonna take this uh, communion together and be done. works, you know, bend the whole thing down, hear a crack, and then you can release the top transparent cover, it's a little quirky, but not that hard, take this bread, Jesus said on the night he was arrested, last supper, last time with his disciples, he's pointing to this, the gospel moment, he says, this bread, tears the bread, this represents my body which will be broken for you. Eat uh, with me. When supper was ended, he took the cup which was typical of the Passover meal, and he passed it and gave it new meaning. He said, this now, I'm sure they didn't get it, but they eventually did. This represents the new covenant, new deal, new arrangement in my blood. I'm going to shed my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink with me. things and we're done. I'm going to pray. One is, take your cards. Be a player. Be open. See what God does in your life. Just, you don't pick one. I like this. I like that. Just take it and let God lead in your life. See what happens. And now everyone, everyone at home, but even here, that's what I would say because I'd like to think that everyone in this room is going to be sitting here for the next seven weeks, but um, we want to make sure you get these verses. They're going to be every week's different. So if you'll text, especially those of you at home, words to that number, our, our text number, then we'll send you today's verses, and then they'll be sent to you for seven weeks. We're not going to put you in a raffle. We're not going to give this to Amazon. We just want to give you Bible verses. That's all it's for, okay? So I want you to do that. And then last, let me say, uh, before I pray, that on the first Sunday of every month, we also have a mercy offering. Those are who are new to church may not know that. 
It's just an offering you participate on the way out if you want to, or online at home, and it's for acute needs in our body. It's not for light bills or you know, paying the mortgage or whatever. It's for acute needs of people in need in our congregation or around it. So that's what it is. Let's pray. God and Father, thank you for this time this morning. We ask for your blessings on this body. We thank you. We love you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, starting with me, to get a greater hold of the gospel in our lives. Help us to know, Lord, what this table represents, what this communion represents in a real way, in an active way in our lives. Help us to grow and live the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.